0: Uh, This morning we're going to focus our time on the first 14 verses, so the first uh, reading that we had this morning. But all the way through this series, our goal has been to read as much of the book of John as possible so we can get a sense of its whole, uh, even though at different points we're going to focus on various passages. And in a couple of weeks, uh, we'll have a particular focus on the Holy Spirit. And so that is coming up. It won't be neglected. Uh, But let me pray. Uh, that we might learn from uh, this passage today. Dear Lord, as we come to your word now and talk about heaven, I pray that it might give us confidence and peace and purpose in how we live in the present. Guide my words and help each of us to hear the things that we need to hear. Amen. I think most people like the idea that when we die, uh, we are going to go to a better place. And often we hear the opening words from our first passage today in John 14 uh, read at funerals because in our moment of profound grief, uh, we want some confidence and hope that the person that we love, uh, who we have just lost, is somewhere good. And so we often talk about heaven as a destination, Uh, but rarely does anyone go on to then read uh, a little bit further into the chapter about how we actually get there? And that's potentially a problem because it creates a false sense of security. It can sort of sound like we're saying uh, there is a better place, but it doesn't matter how you live or what you believe or what religion you follow, uh, we will all get there in the end. There's plenty of room, plenty of room for everyone, so she'll be right. You know, all roads lead to Rome, uh, or in this case, heaven. Uh, It's an appealing idea because it provides comfort, uh, but without any real responsibility. Uh, And it sounds more inclusive, and we like inclusive, and less exclusive. But it's not what Jesus is teaching here. It's not what we've been singing about this morning as we've talked about you know, no other way. Uh, Because Jesus, in fact, teaches completely the opposite. That There is only one way to heaven. Uh, And thankfully, it's not by good works and niceness, uh, but by God's grace and mercy. So in the passage uh, that we've just read, uh, Jesus is sitting with the disciples at the Passover meal on the Thursday evening. So later on that night, he is going to be arrested and betrayed. And so, this is his last chance to say to his disciples the things that he wants to say. And in John's account in particular, we get a pretty good insight into what he says. So, it started last week in John 13. We'll go all the way to John 17. And it's all these things that Jesus wants to say to his disciples. And so, it's often known, you know, in in sort of Bible jargon terms, as the farewell discourse. These are his big last words to his disciples. And as we see today, they're words of hope and comfort. Uh, so last week we finished uh, with a conversation about him going. And so he says, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. And Peter, uh, who you know, makes us all feel good about ourselves, uh, doesn't get it. Uh, so he declares, you know, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. I will follow you even to death. And then we have these tragic but also wonderfully comforting words where Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, before the the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But then he goes on to say, Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So Jesus is saying, Peter, you are going to fail me, but I will not fail you. You know, the disciples are thinking, you know, perhaps Jesus is going to leave Jerusalem or or perhaps even Israel. Uh, but of course, Jesus is talking about going to be with the Father in heaven. And a lot of the, the language in the Bible about heaven is you know, very metaphoric and figurative. So you don't want to sort of overanalyse every word. But the picture we get here is a place of permanence and a place of security. It's a, it's a house, not a tent. And there's plenty of rooms. If you're a follower of Christ, there is absolutely no risk of you sort of getting there and discovering that it's all booked out. Okay, I can't even talk about overseas flights anymore as an example because no one knows what that's like. But uh, yeah, yeah, you turn up to the airport and there's no room left on the plane. There's no risk of that here. So knowing that he is going to prepare a place is really good news. Uh, But even more significant is knowing how to get there. You know, sometimes if you're just going for a little bit of a day drive, it doesn't really matter where you go, it you know, it's just the journey. Okay, you find whatever little back road there is and that's wonderful. If, on the other hand, you really need to be somewhere on time, then actually the way matters. If you're going to a wedding, uh, then those details really matter. How you're going to get there counts. Uh, I was chatting uh, with, with some of the young'uns in, in the Demountable just before now, and what I talked about a Gregory's, and they have no idea what I'm talking about. No idea. For them, how do you get from A to B? You just follow the little blue dot. But, of course, in, in this situation, that there is no little blue dot, and even if there was, it, it wouldn't help you. Uh, but Jesus is saying to the disciples here, you know the way. And this time it's Thomas's turn uh, to take it for the team because he says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answers, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, Jesus doesn't just show the way, uh, he is the way. Uh, in his death, he will stand in our place and pay the price for our sin. Uh, His resurrection will show that he's got power over death and he sets a precedent. Uh, If he has died and risen, uh, then we can be confident when he says that he can raise us and take us to be with him. So he is the way and he is the truth. We live in a world where we have more knowledge than any other time in history. But truth can be hard to find. Everyone claims to have the truth uh, and everyone claims to have a scientific study and the evidence to support their particular version of the truth. But so often uh, the evidence and the, 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 the science is contradictory. Uh, it doesn't mean that truth isn't out there. Uh, it doesn't mean that we can't know truth. It's just hard to find. And so uh, for Christians... We keep coming back to Jesus uh, because Jesus reveals the truth. He confirms what was proclaimed in the Old Testament by the prophets. He reveals himself as the Son of God who was with God in the beginning. Uh, He reveals his role uh, to do the will of his Father uh, to gather everyone who the Father has called. Uh, He reveals our sin. He convicts us of our sin and our need to turn back to him for salvation. And he reveals the meaning of life. And life is a big theme in the book of John. Uh, We've been saved into a new life in Christ, but we also have a new life that leads to eternal life. Uh, So to pick up some of the metaphors uh, that we've seen in the book of John so far, this life is like living water. Uh, it quenches and revives and restores and it gushes up to eternal life. And if you've ever been in the desert and you've ever been desperate, you know just how sweet that water tastes. It's like bread uh, that nourishes and satisfies and it's like light that provides clarity and direction and takes away fear uh, and helps us to see what is good uh, for our own sake but also so that we can do good for others but also helps us to avoid the pitfalls of life and all of these pictures all these images sort of come together to capture what does it mean to have life Uh, it is about the present uh, but more fundamentally it's about eternal life uh, the life that we look forward to and there is only one way to this life no one comes to the father except through me you know, all roads don't lead to Rome. Uh, we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. Uh, all we can do is accept it and embrace it and live it. Uh, but now it's uh, Philip's turn uh, to be confused. You can see the disciples at least are all working together. Okay, if we're going to be lost, it's good to have company. Uh, and so Philip then asks, Lord. Uh, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. You talked a lot about the way and getting to the Father, but you know what? If you could just show us the Father right now, that would be plenty. That, that's all I need to have faith and to trust. Uh, and I think we can kind of be a bit empathetic to that, can't we? You know, we? We talk about all this future hope that we have in Christ, but sometimes we just want God to do something big and dramatic right here, right now. Uh, But Jesus says to them, if you want to see the Father, uh, then look at me. Uh, Because to know Jesus is to know the Father. Now, God is inconceivable and indescribable. Uh, How can we possibly understand who is behind everything that's been created? Uh, But in Jesus, he makes himself accessible. As we see the Son, we see the Father. So, verse 11, believe me, when I say that I'm in the Father... And the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So the Son reveals the Father, and at the same time, there's a level of interconnectedness between the Father and the Son that we, we just don't simply you know, understand. You know, we call it the Trinity you know, as, as Christians, uh, and we can see that in the Trinity uh, there are three distinct personalities. Uh, that each personality of God has a unique role and at the same time they are so interconnected that they can only be adequately described as one. And so Jesus is claiming not only to be from God, he's not only a guide, uh, but he is in fact claiming to be God. And at that, that's the point that I think gets you know, beyond believing, isn't it? For, for many people. You go, I'm happy for him to be a prophet, happy for him to be a guide. Uh, I'm even happy for there to be a God, because that's kind of a bit broad and vague. But when you start talking about Jesus, a tangible person, being the son of God, uh, that is an outrageous claim. Unless, of course, it is true. And so Jesus says, well, if you're struggling to believe my words, then the disciple, he says to the disciples, well, then look at my miracles. You know they've seen Jesus heal a crippled man. They've seen him heal a blind man. They've seen him, you know, tell Lazarus, uh, who's been in the tomb for four days and stinketh, uh, to come out. Yeah, you know, that's pretty compelling evidence. If you were a disciple right there and then, uh, I reckon you'd be pretty convinced. But of course, the real clincher uh, is still to come, uh, when he will die on the cross and then rise again three days later and that belief needs to then result in action. So he goes on to say, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And so our job, if we are a follower of Christ, is to imitate Jesus. Whatever work he valued, uh, we need to value. And in the book, I think, in the book of John, I think there's three particular themes that to me stand out. There's a whole stack, but, but let me pick three that I think are particularly significant. I think firstly, Jesus glorifies the Father. Uh, it comes up over and over again through the book of John, uh, that he submits to the will of his Father, he does the work of his Father to call everyone who he's been given. And so as he brings glory to the Father, that's part of our job. As Christians, we are called to glorify God the Father. Uh, And we start with how we glorify the Son. Uh, We recognise his lordship, we recognise he is our saviour, and we obey and we follow. So we can't say, you know, I believe in God, uh, but I don't really believe in Jesus and still call ourselves a Christian. Uh, Those two always go hand in hand. Uh, secondly, his work calls people to believe. Uh, so the word believe comes up something like 84 times in the book of John. Okay, so compared to some of the other Gospels, uh, it pops up about 15 times in, say, Mark or Luke. Uh, so this is a big theme in the book of John. He, at the end of the book, he says, I wrote this so that you might believe uh, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So, our work is to believe, uh, but equally, our work is to proclaim Christ uh, that others might believe. You know, this isn't just about uh, wanting more people to join our club. You know, we've got a few extra seats, that'd be good. Uh, it's, it comes out of a, a love for people uh, people who we don't even know personally, but who we want to see come to have life. Uh, that's our motivation. Uh, that we want to see people know the God who created them, uh, to be saved from sin and to have eternal life. And so just to be clear about what's at stake here, uh, this is from John chapter 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. And so if we don't tell them, uh, if we don't tell our friends, our families, if we don't tell our neighbours, then who will? I think on the most basic level, uh, we can start by setting an example. Uh, Simply the way we treat people, the way we approach our work, uh, the way we approach relationships, the way we treat people with dignity, uh, the way we love people who really don't like us. Now, all of those things testify uh, to the Christ that we follow. Uh, That's a good start. But I think even better is... You know, taking up you know, the opportunities to have those conversations. You know, it might be you're talking to a workmate about what they see as the meaning of life and that gives you an opportunity to ask questions and to share your own Christian perspective. It might be hearing how someone is struggling in their marriage and being willing to stop and offer to pray for them. Uh, it might be inviting them to church. Uh, in fact, you might even be here today because someone has invited you to church. And certainly our goal is every week that you'll come in, you'll hear the Bible explained and clearly you'll hear the need to follow Jesus. And so I hope we do that in a way that that's clear, that's faithful, that's compelling. We have so many opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. And I think the third one, the third big theme that comes up and it'll come up more and more in these last chapters of the book of John is this theme of serving one another. As Jesus, you know, last week we saw it exemplified in Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And he then goes on to say, I've set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. And so Jesus isn't just saying, what I want you to do for the rest of history is just wash people's feet. Okay? But it is a very tangible example of what does it mean to humble ourselves and to serve and love one another. And in the particular context of washing feet, he is talking about how Christians, how the disciples, look after one another. And so we do need to think about how do we love each other? Uh, Not just conveniently, uh, not just without spare time, but sacrificially and generously. And so it does start with being committed to gathering together. And that's what we do on Sunday. Uh, Just physically being in the room is an encouragement. It says we're in it together. Uh, it's meeting together in connect groups, but it's also the practical things. It's providing a meal or going over to fix a tap. You know, Often it's the simplest things uh, that can make the biggest difference. You know, I think one of our risks as a church, uh, we perhaps don't feel it quite so much this morning, but as we welcome new people, it's easy to feel that our role is less significant or we're more anonymous or there are other people who are more gifted than me. And so just to feel, well, then it doesn't really make much difference what I do or what I contribute. Uh, But again, more often than not, uh, it's not the big and dramatic things that make a difference in life. It's the thousand little things. And so I think our challenge is to go, well, what are the simple little things that I can do? Uh, It's the meeting up, it's the text message, it's the phone call. Uh, It's just helping put something away or help set something up but it's all about humbly serving one another, uh, that we might be built in our love for Christ. And then finally from our passage, we need to pray. So he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now you read those words, and you think, well this just sounds like Jesus is offering sort of a, a whopping big, you know, blank novelty check. Uh, doesn't matter what you ask for, done. Okay, this is Oprah show. You know, just a car for you and you and you. Uh, that's kind of what it sounds like here, doesn't it? And we're thinking, well, actually, I've got quite a list. Uh, you know, but I, I, as we sort of think about this passage, we do need just look at it in context, but also what he's talking about. So he's just been talking about the work that he's been doing and he's saying to the disciples, I want you to continue that work So you're going to now do my work in my name. And so they're the things that we should be praying about as we pray, the key words here, as we pray in his name, as we do the work that Jesus did. So we should be praying about the things that result in God being glorified. We should pray about God working through us to gather all the people that he has called. We should be praying that we might humbly love and serve one another Uh, it doesn't mean we can't pray for other things like safe travel and uh, you know good employment Uh, but even those things we need to look at and think through through a gospel lens how is this prayer going to bring honor to God how is this uh, my employment going to be an opportunity to proclaim Christ Uh, So we move our perspectives away from just simply what do I want and my perceived needs to what does God want and how do we honour him? You know, Jesus has prepared a place for us. Uh, That is the hope that we have in the resurrection. Uh, But the whole point of this passage isn't to say, I'm going to prepare a place. You know the way. Now, what I want you to do is just sit at the bus stop. Have your bags packed, okay, and just wait till I call you home. Okay, you can play on your phone uh, while you're waiting, but that's it. Okay, that's not the point at all. Uh, Jesus is going, I've prepared a place for you, but in the meantime, I want you to do the work I've called you to do. Yeah, and we don't know how long uh, God has given us uh, in life. Uh, for some of us it's shorter, for some of us longer. But whatever that time is, whatever gifts God has given us, Uh, we are called to use them purposefully and for his glory. Uh, So let's pray that we will do that. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you uh, that through your son, uh, you have shown us the way, you have prepared the way uh, that we might have life. And Lord, we we thank you for that hope and we pray that that hope will shape how we live now. Uh, Help us to live for your glory Uh, Help us to speak the good news of your son uh, to those around us. Help us to serve one another. Amen.